I can have your attention, if you'll be seated, I'm going to ask Seth and Lauren Hefner to come to the stage and their little baby Emma. If you guys will stand right here and just show everybody your beautiful little girl. Isn't she beautiful? She's a little nervous. Y'all smile. You look, you look like you're not happy this morning. Just look at her and look, smile. But I just want to say, uh, I've known Seth and Lauren for a long time. Uh, they've been coming to East Hales Baptist Church for a long time. Very faithful. Lauren, you're in Iwana. I don't know if Seth was, but you were. Uh, your family's very faithful. I've uh, known Seth for a long time. Uh, met in church pretty much. Uh, went through youth group. Come up been faithful since they've been married. Uh, so I really appreciate both of you. And uh, love you both. So happy for, for little Emma today. And we get to dedicate her to the Lord. And I just want to read this. I think it applies to your life already. But it's something, a good reminder. Notice what Mo, uh, God said to Moses to tell Israel. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And today what we're going to do is you're going to make a covenant with yourself, with the church, and with the Lord to do this very thing, to raise her up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So I'm going to ask you a question. If it's the desire of your hearts, respond by saying we do. In presenting Emma to the Lord... Do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach her the truths of the Christian faith? Do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring him up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of the Lord? Thank you. And church, we are entering into this covenant as well with this family. Uh, as I say this often, many of you will have her in nursery. You probably already do. Awana, student ministry, Sunday school, all the way up. And I always say this, it takes a church to raise a child. So I'll ask you this question. If it's the desire of your heart, respond by saying we do. Congregation, do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Emma by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help her come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for Seth and Lauren as they seek to raise Emma in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If so, would you say we do? So we have several things we want to give you today. We have this little Bible that I've signed for Emma. We also have a certificate uh, of dedication that talks about this day. Um, we have the Lamb's Book, which, of course, I mention this often. This is good for adults or children. It really explains the gospel. Why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross, bear our sins in God's wrath, and raise from the dead to be saved. So there's that. Also, Justin has a little youth ministry t-shirt that, that, that is for her. And this is a letter that I've personally written to Emma, and this is for her eyes only. It's sealed on the day that she prays to receive Christ. Her mom and dad's give us the her. It talks about this day and how that we prayed on this day for this very moment, which is the most important thing, is her salvation. So if you will, join me together as we pray for Emma's salvation this morning. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we lift Emma up to you. Lord, we thank you for her birth, for her health. Father, I want to thank you for Seth and Lauren, for what they mean to me, to our church, and to their family, and to Emma. Lord, we pray for her salvation now. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would save her at an early age. Lord, use her for your honor and your glory. I pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and his kingdom would be expanded because of her birth. And Father, so we lift her soul up to you today. Father, we dedicate her to you. Father, we give her to you. And Lord, we trust you with her salvation. And we love you today. We thank you, Lord, that you come to seek and to save. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, guys. God bless.
you as you know this is a time that we set aside uh, in our service for prayer and as many of you know because of what's going on in the state of our nation today the president has called for today to be a national day of prayer for the coronavirus and different things we have prayer here every Sunday so every Sunday is a national day of prayer for us in that sense um, I want to mention Electa Mae Misimore uh, she's in her 90s she's usually here she's at our Charlotte Hospital right now with a blood clot they're giving her blood thinners I talked to Patsy and uh Frankie this morning, and they said if you would just lift her up in prayer. So as we pray for her and pray for our nation, you also can come as a family, as an individual. You can pray for somebody else. Pray for yourself. We're talking about marriage the last two weeks. You may want to come as a family and just lift yourself and your home up to the Lord. But as a choir leads us at this time, Mark's going to pray for us. You meet me here at this altar, and let's pray together this morning. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, we're so grateful that you're in control. And Lord, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of hope and of love and of sound mind. And Father, we want to pray, Father, for one another. Father, we want to pray for each other and Father, the burdens that people are carrying, that Lord, that you would be the one. Lord, that would help ease the burden and lighten the load. Lord, you said to cast all our care upon you, for you care for us. And Lord, we're so grateful that you do. Lord, we're so grateful that you live within us and you walk 
in our lives, and we're not alone. And Father, we pray this morning you'd bless this time. Lord, may you be worshipped, may you be glorified, may you be praised, may all the honor and glory be given to you, for you're the altogether lovely one, and we're here to worship you. We're here to uplift you. And Father, we want to pray, Father, for our community. God, we want to pray for our county, our state, our nation, and our world. Lord, there's a lot going on. But God, you said to come to you and trust you in all things. And Father, we do that. We trust you to walk with us. We pray, Father, for all that's going on with the coronavirus. We pray that you'd help people, help those who are taking care of those who are sick. God, be with the health care providers. Lord, as they work hard and long hours to take care of people. And Father, give them strength. And God, give them wisdom to be able to resolve this issue. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for a time to get together and pray. Lord, our president has called us to pray. But Lord, you called us many, many years ago. You said we're to pray without ceasing. And Father, help us to do that. Help us to pray for each other. Lord, as we're in this room, help us to pray for those beside of us, our homes, our families, our children, grandchildren. And Lord, that you might be exalt, exalted in our midst, that you might be honored. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for the opportunity to give. I pray you'd bless this gift. I pray you'd use it for your kingdom's glory and for the advancement of the gospel. And Father, we want to tell you that we love you this morning. Lord, help us to walk in faith, not in fear. And perfect love cast out fear. And you're that perfect love this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, and you may be seated. Yeah. 
God's plan for marriage is that it should be one of the highest forms of closeness and intimacy. Scripture describes it as two people becoming one. You must be vigilant, however, to protect this. For the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said that if you even look upon another woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Flee from situations and people that would draw you away from one another. Like someone who seems to listen better or who seems to understand you better than your spouse. Because adultery is more than physical, it includes your emotions. And what may appear harmless will in reality bring about the end of your relationship. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What an intro to the sermon title. If you have your Bibles, turn to Song of Solomon chapter 2 two, and stand with me. We're going to talk about the little foxes this morning. Notice what he says. You have the Shulamite, who's a, who's a peasant lady working in a vineyard. You have Solomon, who's the king, probably close to the same age. Okay, And if you remember the last two weeks, we talked about the fact that they were deeply in love this first part is when they're dating. The rest of the part we're going to talk about when they're married and how things change. But notice what he says here in verse 15. Catch us, which means you better get them, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Very important. Notice again, catch us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy. Father, we thank you that, Lord, we live in America, the greatest nation on the planet. Lord, we can worship freely, or we can stay at home. We, Lord, you've blessed us so much. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to meet together. I thank you for your word. Father, I lift up every marriage that's represented, people that are here and people that aren't here. Lord, this is where we're living. Father, I've been counseling since the 90s. And everything I share today, Lord, comes from this book and from experience with people. Lord, it applies to all of us. Lord, I need to focus on myself and be a better Christian in my marriage. And Lord, I pray that that would be our focus this morning. Thank you for your word. It's so practical. Lord, these words were written thousands of years ago. But Lord, they're so practical for us today. And Father, I pray that we take a deep look at ourselves. Lord, challenge us. Lord, convict us and change us and conform us into the image of your Son for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, what you see here in the Song of Solomon is a love song, of course. You have the Shulamite and you have Solomon talking to each other at different places in their marriage. And as Solomon points out here, I'll just read what one scholar put. He said, it's not the big things that are the problem in a marriage. Everyone seems to be aware of the big things. Everybody's watching out for them. Solomon says it's the little things that can ruin the vineyards. Now notice, one scholar put it this way. This verse isn't really about a vineyard. The vineyard represents the relationship between Solomon and his bride. And these little foxes, okay, uh, scholars tell us they're about 15 inches tall. They seem so cute. They were so innocent. But if left alone, if left alone, they could destroy the vineyard. Notice, notice, catch us. Notice what she says, or he says, catch that word catch means to take the foxes, handle the foxes, seize them, take possession of them, and destroy them. You must recognize them and destroy them. Don't feed them or pet them or take selfies with them because it's going to ruin your marriage. Look at the word destroy or spool. Chabal in the Hebrew. It means to destroy, to corrupt, to make to go to ruin, to decay, to spool. Corrupt morally, it means to rot. It means it will never be the same again. Jesus said this, that the thief, has to come to, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants nothing more than to level your marriage. The first institution that Satan attacked was marriage. 
He, the word kill there in Jesus' context in John 10.10 10 means to butcher. He wants to hit you at the place that's most precious to you, the family. So what are some little foxes, okay, that can hurt marriages? And some of this is just right from here. Some of this is just practical things. And, and the first point is this. It's just really simply time. If, you're, if you'll remember the last two weeks, she was begging him to come home, and he was begging to get home, right? And I said, is that still true in your marriage? Are you happy? Are you looking out the door when your husband comes home? Or are you giddy when she comes home? For a lot of us, that may not be the case, but it, you're hoping they're coming home. But think about this when it comes to time, okay? Even when he would go, after they've been married a while, she's like, where is he? Not because she's worried about him, but because she's like, she misses him, okay? How much time do you spend with your spouse? We looked the first week, I think, the average couple, listen, speaks 37 minutes per week to each other. 37 minutes. Do you still go on vacations together? Do you spend time with each other? Do you long for date nights? Do you even have date night? You know, I was at a conference one time, and Andy Stanley was speaking, and Andy's kind of strayed from who Andy used to be, but back then he was solid as a rock. And he said this. There's probably three or 4,000 pastors there. And he says, you're going to have to cheat something in your life. There's not enough time. There's not enough time for your job, for your hobbies, and for your family. Who are you going to cheat? Who are you going to cheat? And he held up this big rock. And Andy's a skinny little dude, right? And he's holding up this huge rock. And he's talking for like 15 minutes. And he says, eventually, all this time and this stress, he said, this is what's going to happen. He dropped the rock. He couldn't hold it anymore. And it just shattered on the stage. And it's a, he said, for some of you here, you're not here with your spouse. You just need to leave right now. Go back to your spouse. You need to spend time with your spouse, not at some conference with a bunch of dudes. You know about 15 guys got up and left right then? Because they realized, I've been cheating my spouse of the time that was rightfully theirs by doing things that I wanted to do. And I've shared this with you before as well. I was at Valley Nursing Home. Harold and Helen Pennell sharing a room together. At this point in time in Helen's life, she couldn't even feed herself. And Harold would talk, and he said, Preacher, you come here and sit right here on this bed. And I said, Sure, Harold. And, and Harold said, I want to tell you something. He said, We had big plans to travel. And they were travelers. And we put it off, and we put it off, and we put it off. And he says, Now look at us. He says, Son, you better do what you're going to do while you're able. Because there may come a time when you can't do it. And he says, If you love your wife, you do things with your spouse while you can. Solomon, in his later years, notice what he says in Ecclesiastes. He makes this statement, enjoy life. I'll just stop right there. If a Christian can enjoy life, who can? Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun, for this is your reward in life. Enjoy life with your spouse. Do not give up every second of your day to your job, to the church, to your hobbies, Give the majority of your time to your spouse and enjoy life together. Time. Notice the second thing that can really hurt marriages, and we see this all throughout the Song of Solomon, are words. Listen to this quote. Good communication is the foundation of a strong marriage. Many marriages could be saved if spouses improved the ways they communicate to each other. It's often the simplest bad habits that get couples into trouble. Once a marriage gets on a rough track, negativity grows, problems escalate as both spouses repeat their mistakes again and again. You start throwing Bible darts at each other, don't you? You keep the scorebook. You remember the scorebook I brought out from my, my senior year of high school? And I said, throw your scorebook away. Your marriage will never make it if you're keeping score of each other. Okay? And then what happens with words is this. Remember we talked two weeks ago. Never yell at your spouse. If the house is on fire, you what? Yell. If somebody breaks into your house, you yell. If there's a snake, after you kill it, you yell. All right? If Roy Williams doesn't call a timeout, you yell. But you never yell at your spouse. We're adults, right? Now listen, Solomon, we, we've been talking about men. How are you to talk to your spouse? How are you to talk to your wife? She's tender. You to be tender and gentle like Solomon was in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. What about women? Do y'all ever have a problem with speech? Notice what Solomon says here on the screen. This is out of the message, which it should say wife. It says, a nagging wife is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off, and you can't get away from it. And all the men said, you better not. <laughs> you better not. Now listen. This is Solomon saying this, right? It's like the drip, drip, drip. Drip, 
Trip, trip. Say it with me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, now think about that for a minute. Solomon says, why would you want to be that way? Now notice what, how Solomon's wife, most scholars believe, is giving advice to her son in Proverbs 31 about what kind of woman to look for. He says, this woman, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. So which one are you going to be? So you may be saying here, oh man, I've me I messed up. You don't have to mess up forever, do you? We all have seasons where we struggle with our spouse. We, think, we say things we don't want to. Our communication is just not right. But we're to never listen to, what listen to what Solomon says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He also says this, listen. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, which means this. That word fountain of life means the mouth of the righteous brings healing. It's a paradise-like feeling. The power of life and death is in the tongue. A kind word that falls today will bear fruit tomorrow, even in your marriage. This is a major thing in Proverbs. Solomon talks about words 90%, or 90 times in the Proverbs. Listen, how you speak to your spouse really matters. Now, men... When is the last time, we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well, you really bragged on your wife and how she looks? See, in Song of Solomon 4, they've been married a while, right? And he still brags on his wife. Notice what he says. And men, you can just look at your wife. Notice what he says about her. And look at your wife. You don't have to say this, but look at her and think, your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, isn't that romantic? I don't know if you've been around goats lately, but your wife's hair looks better than goat's hair, okay? Notice what else he says. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing. Each one bears its twins, and none of them are missing. If your wife has all her teeth, you should tell her, baby, you look good. You're not snaggletooth. You got all your teeth. You brush your teeth. And then he says this, your mouth is lovely. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Your two breasts are like two phones, twins of a gazelle. Every part of her body, he just goes down and talks about how wonderful she is. Your words in your marriage matter, don't they? If you think your wife's beautiful, why don't you tell her, I bet a guy at work will. He'll tell her, I bet you, hey, you know what? You let your wife lose 20 pounds and see what somebody at work tells her. You should be thankful. Tell her if you love her. Tell her she's beautiful to you. Solomon, after they've been married, he still told her this. And then chapter 7, he does the same thing. But notice number 3, which is the most important one of them all, I think, is trust. She still trusts him at this time. Solomon is the king. And as far as we know at this time, he was probably pretty much a monogamous person, as far as we know. But this issue of adultery, flirting, is an epidemic in Alexander County. I do more counseling over this one issue than anything. Easily. There's not even a second place to this. The number one people, reason people, and I've shared this with you before, leave this church the past seven years is because of this one issue. What's sad is you'll have this happen in church and then you've got two families that leave and then all their family leaves. And people say, what happened? And I just have to say, well, they, they just wasn't happy here, I guess. What are you going to say? Trust. Notice what, notice what God says about this. In Hebrews 13, 4, let's just look at it. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Those are not my words. Now just look at that. Marriage should be honored by all. That's the marriage between a man and a woman. The marriage bed, that's talking about intimacy between a man and a woman. Must be pure. Marriage bed is a euphemism for sex and marriage. The marriage bed is to be kept pure, which means this, without contamination, unpolluted, untainted, unstained. The idea is that our marriage bed should be in perfect condition, free from any spot of moral dirt or ethical pollution or immorality. The marriage bed is free from any sexual immorality. John MacArthur put this when he talks about the judgment of God. He says, God is serious about sexual purity, very serious. You may fool around with illicit sex. You may fool around outside your marriage. You may get away with it from the judgment of man's standpoint, but you'll never get away from it from the judgment of God. God will judge somehow, some way, chastisement and punishment comes. How opposite of the Proverbs 31 woman, which says this, the heart of her husband safely trust her. And then Solomon, when he's giving advice to his son, notice what he says in Proverbs 5.20. What's the first word? Say it with me. Why? You know when I talk to men, this is what I'll say to them. Why? 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 
How did you get here? And why did you get here? Why? Why, men? Why? And I'll say this too, even more so than that. Why, women? Why? I mean, used to, when I counseled, it was always the men's fault. The last, probably, I don't know how many times it's the woman's fault. Why? Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Solomon's telling his son. Why, look at the word captivated. That comes from the Hebrew word shagah, which means this, to stray, to wander, to be devoured. It's a picture of a man walking along with his family on a trail, and he slips off another path and is immediately devoured. There are steps to this. There is intent to this. This is not a mistake. This is planned out. It may have been innocent at first, but then there's this whole plan that goes into motion. Shagah. Why be captivated? Why make steps and rearrange your life and lie and deceive people, my son, for an adulteress? Why? Why, be, why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Why? What a question. Ask yourself that question. Why? If you're here today, guys, and you're texting somebody that's not your spouse and you know what you're doing because you're an adult, let me ask you a question. Why? Why? Ladies, if you're in a class with a whole bunch of women and there's two men and he's your study partner, why? Why? What, why? Why are you crossing paths like that? Why? Ask yourself. What are the steps to this? Notice on the screen, scholars will tell us this is what happened. It starts out with your phone, whether you have an Apple or a Droid or a track phone. Texting starts out between a man and a woman who are not married. Happens all the time. I have to do it with some of y'all. All the time. But I will not text you at 11 o'clock at night and ask you how you're feeling and talk to you about my marriage. That is not what you do with a person of the opposite sex, ever. You have an ongoing texting relationship with somebody that's not your spouse and your spouse is upset about it? Why? Do you share emotion, emotions, deep emotional things with someone that's not your spouse of the opposite sex? And I would ask you this question, why? Do you have to lie to your mate about somebody else? Bad sign. You have to lie to your mate. Are you flirting and teasing with someone and oftentimes you don't think it's much but everybody else does? And you justify it, I just say why. Think about this. Minor yet arousing touches, squeezes, and hugs. Why? I would ask you that question. Why are you doing that? Number six, special notes or gifts that you'd send to a person of the opposite sex that's not your spouse. Inventing excuses to call or to meet each other in private. Why? Inventing excuses to call or meet. Arranging secret meetings. Number nine, deceit and cover-ups. Kissing. You know we talked about kissing last week? And we, we talked about how intimate that was between a husband and a wife, and I challenge you for the next week to do that. And I, I said, don't peck on the cheek, kiss. Swap saliva, it's healthy, it's normal. Listen to me. You don't do that with somebody that's not your spouse, ever. Ever. That's not a mistake either. You didn't accidentally do that. Ever you don't do that. And then step 11 is this. It always, always, always ends up in adultery. When I counsel, every person I counsel with is in one of these spots. And typically when I bring it out, if they get defensive, they're not going to change a thing. Why do you get defensive about something? Why do you get defensive about the truth? Why do you get defensive? Trust. The little foxes in Alexander County deal a lot with this issue. It is an epidemic in this county. And I would say this, the workplace. Be careful at work when you spend so much time with a person of the opposite sex in their workspace. Social media can be the worst. CNN ran a report about 10 years, not 10 years ago, about 8 years ago. They said that Facebook was 60% of the reason a lot of people ended up having an affair. Isn't it amazing? Social media. Social media, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, not bad things at all. But they can become very bad things. Let me ask you this question, and you don't answer it. As of right now, do you trust your spouse? If you don't, you should be able to talk about it without arguing. There's no reason to argue about it. There's no reason to get defensive. There's no reason to accuse 
any of these things, just talk about it, okay? Then the final thing is this. You have time, you have words, you have trust, and then it comes down to this. You have selfishness in a marriage. You know, men have needs and women have needs. It's amazing how God made us because we're totally opposite. Look at these needs for a woman. And this is what Solomon's given the Shulamite. Affection, communication, at this point in their marriage, openness and honesty. He's given her financial stability and family commitment right now. You know, how many, you know where that's at on a man's? Probably on the back page of a 100-page book. They're not there. You know what the man wants? He wants intimacy. Top 10. That's all he cares about, and a little bit of respect. Isn't it amazing how different men and women are? If, if you think about this, if you think about this, in Song of Solomon chapter 5, we're going to see this play out in action. Notice what he says if you have your Bibles in verse 2. Notice this, this is a funny exchange between these two, and it deals with her needs and his needs, and how she will not, at this time, on this night... She's not meeting his needs. Notice, the Shulamite's troubled evening, it says in my Bible. Here she is in verse 2 of chapter 5. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It's the voice of my beloved. Now, she's in bed. He knocks on the door, which is closed, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. What do you think he's saying? I've been working all day. Been working hard. You got the door shut. Want a back rub? You want a back rub? <laughs> That's probably what he's saying. Notice what she says. This is what she says in verse 3. I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? Oh, is she paralyzed? I took it off. It's so heavy. I don't know if I can reach it. And then she says this. She says, I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? You want me to get my feet dirty? And then she says this. My beloved put his hand to the door by the latch of the door. You know what she's saying? This is what she's telling him. He's saying to the Shulamite woman, I need intimacy. You know what she says? I got a headache. That's what she's saying. She's saying, how can I get up and walk 10 feet and open the door? I'm in bed. I have the cover on. Think about this. Now listen, I just want to say this. He has the right to feel this way. It's how God made him. Nothing wrong with how he's feeling. Absolutely, positively, nothing wrong with how he's feeling. He has a spiritual right to feel this way, a domestic right, a masculine right to feel this way. This is not gross. Listen to what one scholar says who I have a great respect for. He says, Jesus, who was a lifelong unmarried celibate man, tempted in every way just as we are, affirmed intimacy within the male-female marital union. He invented it. Sex is not a no-no. It is not taboo. It's a gift that invites husbands and wives to taste eating together, naked without shame, known and embraced, exposed and not rejected. Proverbs, he says, the book of Proverbs invites a husband to find satisfaction in his wife's body. The Song of Solomon pictures a husband and wife admiring each other, reciting poetry over and adventurously enjoying one another's bodies. Paul the Apostle, also unmarried and celibate, says that except for short seasons dedicated to prayer, able-bodied married couples should have intimacy as often as they desire. The Bible says so. Now here he is. He comes home. He's the king. All right, he's the king. He is probably hit on by every woman in the vineyard. He says, I love my wife. I'm going home tonight after a hard day's work. He knocks on the door and says, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. And she says, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. Look, here she is at this moment. He has needs and she is at this moment. She's self-willed and selfish. One, one person put it this way. It's no worries if it's a time or two, but what if this happens for a month? You better listen. What if this happens for two months? What if this happens for three months? What if it's him instead of her? You realize other than adultery, the number one reason that I've talked to men since 1996 that are discouraged, number one, or divorced, number two, give up their homes, is for this one issue, will give up their homes over this one issue and find another spouse because their spouse will not be intimate with them. Now see, this woman has a right to say no anytime she wants to. Solomon doesn't push it this night. He does not. He says, I love you. He puts his hand on the door, on the latch, which says, I love you. And they talk about something else. But what if this went on for three months, four months, six months, a year, two years, three years? Do you realize that's unnormal? That's not normal. 
That is, that is not normal in a marriage relationship because just as a female has needs, a man has needs. What Solomon does here is so wonderful. He does not react to her, but he responds to God. And this is basically what he says. When he puts his hand on the latch, he's saying this. He covered that bolt with love, and he says, I love you, and I understand that we're not going to do this tonight. But the question comes, what if this happens every night, night after night after night after night after night? That's why selfishness in marriage is one of the hardest things for people to overcome because in your marriage, you can become so bitter, silently bitter, at your spouse that you use certain things as a tool to get back at them. And I'm telling you something, your marriage will struggle, 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 struggle. Paul says, do not deprive one another. Ladies, he says, your body's not your own. Men, he says, your body's not your own. Lest you be tempted. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense. That's what he says. That's why communication in this area is so, so important. We have a book in our office that I give couples and premarital counseling, and I would encourage you all to get the book. The book is called Sheet Music. Kevin Lehman, who many of you have seen in some Bible studies, DVDs that we've done in Sunday school, one of the, one of the best books I've ever read. I've ever read on this very issue and these issues, and I would encourage you to get that. You can get it on Amazon very cheap. So you have time, you have words, you have trust, you have selfishness. So these little foxes are suddenly becoming huge. But you know the answer to all of it? Notice number five here is Jesus. Jesus. Listen, the first and most important relationship in your life is Jesus. Jesus. Put Jesus first in your... It's amazing how unselfish we become when Jesus is first. It's amazing when this temptation, the flirt and the text, is not even on the radar when Jesus is number one in your life. Why would it be? You don't go looking for somebody else when you got Jesus and you're walking with Jesus. You just don't. And let me, let me tell you this, and I'm, I'm going to be as, as honest as I can be with you, and this is my, my answer to a lot of people in counseling, and sometimes I hate to say it, but it's so true. If you'll notice this on the screen, and we'll close with this. You can't change your spouse. Notice, you can't. You can't. You can't make your spouse love you. You can't make your spouse come back. You can't. You can't make your spouse do the things you want your spouse to do. You can't, you can't make them. Several years ago, we had uh, the Davis family here. Well-known throughout. They have a kind of a national ministry. He was a pastor. He cheated on his wife with their best friend. She kicked him out. Over time, through very hard times, they got back together, and they started speaking uh, to churches. They also have uh, articles that they have on their webpage every day. And this is what he says about his situation with his wife, Tricia. He says, here is a principle that applies to every marriage. Listen to what he says. Tricia couldn't talk me into choosing her. Listen, he cheated on her and left. She kicked him out. She says, I don't want you back unless you want to be back. I don't want to manipulate you into coming back. If you want me, I'll, I'll allow you to come back after a while. But don't come back just to come back. Don't come back because we've got a house. You come back for me or you don't come back. Listen to what he says. You better listen. He says, Tricia couldn't talk me into choosing her. Think about it. You can't talk your spouse into loving you and wanting to spend the rest of their life with you. You cannot do it. He goes on to say this. This is the most counterintuitive principle, but it can literally save your marriage if you absorb it. He goes on to say this. You can't talk him into telling the truth. You can't talk her into not chatting with that guy on Facebook. You can't talk him into not watching porn. You can't win him back by begging him to come back. You can't win her love by walking on eggshells and trying to be perfect. You can't talk him into not texting her again. You can't talk her into loving you more. You can't talk him into being committed to you or your marriage. And then he goes on to say this. When our marriage is drifting, when our marriage is disconnected, when our marriage is falling apart, when our spouse has had an affair, our natural instinct is to think, if I beg him, he'll stay. If I'm a perfect husband, she'll fall back in love with me. If I can convince him how much I love him, then he'll choose me. And he goes on to say this. The problem is we can talk our spouse into behavioral change, but we can't talk them into heart transformation. Who wants to be in a relationship that they've been manipulated into because their spouse says, do this or, or I'm leaving? 
If you're at a place in your marriage where you're trying to change your spouse's behavior by talking them into it, my advice is stop it. Take a step back and reconnect with God. Begin to pursue the person you know God is calling you to be and allow God to be God for your spouse. You can't talk them into repentance. You can't talk them into commitment. You can't talk them into integrity. Only God can do that. Allow Him to do what only He can do. It's the most difficult thing you'll do, but it could be the most important thing you'll do for yourself and for your marriage. Look at this. You cannot change your spouse, but God can do anything. Aren't you thankful? Listen, I would encourage you today. I'm going to ask, you, ask our musicians to come. I'm not going to give a long invitation. But this is what I'd ask you to do. Number one, I would ask you to surrender your life to Christ. Trust Him with your soul and with your salvation, the resurrected Jesus who died on the cross, who bore God's wrath and our sin debt. Trust in Him for salvation alone. And then secondly, in your marriage, trust God with yourself. Nobody loves you like Jesus does. Jesus said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He won't. Your spouse may, but Jesus will not. And then the third thing, which is sometimes the hardest, trust God with your spouse. Trust God with your spouse and say, God, I cannot, I can manipulate this person to change their behavior for a while, but I cannot transform their heart. Only you can do that. Only you can do that. I don't know where you're at today in your marriage. I hope it's great. I hope it is. If it is, as we stand together, why don't you just thank God for that? You don't got to pray out loud. You may be here without your spouse. I know that happens quite often in, in, in churches in Alexander County. You may just want to lift your spouse up to the Lord in prayer. You also, in your marriage, may just want to pray for yourself. Or you may just, as a husband and wife, want to pray for each other. I'm going to ask you to stand with us with every head bowed and every eye closed. Of course, this altar is open. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you to do that today. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But I would encourage you to surrender yourself and your marriage to the Lord today. Fathers, we come to you in prayer, Lord. Couples all over the sanctuary, Lord, we all need your help. Lord, we're all just sinners saved by grace, living in the same house with another sinner saved by grace. Lord, we all fall short. But Lord, we can surrender ourselves and our marriage and our responses to our spouse to you. Lord, we give ourselves to you today. Father, I can't change my wife any more than I can change my kids. But, Father, you can. Lord, I know I've been called to love my spouse. Lord, to enjoy life with my spouse, to provide for my spouse, to protect my spouse, to pray for and be a priest in the home for my spouse. So, Lord, I lift my spouse up to you today. Lord, I pray men all over this sanctuary just lift our flawed selves up to you today. And Lord, we fall short in so many areas. And Lord, I thank, pray that we'd think about us. And Lord, I pray for any marriages, Lord, on the brink. Jesus, you can do the miraculous, and I pray that you would do that. Lord, do something supernatural in the marriages in this place today. Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, they can only come to that place through the drawn to the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would save for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we'll forever thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this altar's open. As Sharon leads us in the song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Come just as you everyone for being here today. Just a reminder, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights have been canceled and we'll start back, good Lord willing, on April the 5th. We'll let you know this week kind of how, how next Sunday is going to go. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here if we have church next Sunday. Deacons, we need to meet in the conference room as soon as the service is over. God bless you and you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.